Good morning. My name is Peter, one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you this morning, everyone joining from wherever you are tuning in from. When I was 18 years old, I opened up my very first Facebook account. This was back when it required an actual college email address to sign up. I know, old school. And I've seen all the changes and adaptations over the years. I remember when the only react button you had was the like button, like the thumbs up. I remember when you had to actually comment on a status because there wasn't even a like button. I remember when there was no direct messaging, so the only way that you talked with each other was by publicly posting on each other's walls or writing a note, whatever that is. Things have changed, but one thing has stayed the same, birthdays. Every birthday since 18 for me, my wall has been flooded each year with a series of comments ranging from silly cat gifts to best of birthday wishes, Peter, to the tried and true happy birthday, period. Subtle, yet chic. But I'll admit, after more than a decade of this, it begins to get a little redundant sorting through all the notifications from people all around the world practically saying the same thing. So one year before turning 30, I had an idea and I've posted it each year before my birthday since. A request saying, instead of writing a happy birthday post to me on Facebook today, I'm asking that you reach out to someone you know who may be feeling lonely and write a note to them. Maybe it's an old friend, maybe it's the homeless man on the corner, maybe it's the clerk in the drive-through you're grabbing coffee from as you're rushing off to work, but in remembering them, you're remembering me. The reason is simple. I cannot tell you how many personally meaningful relationships have been built over the years as a result of a single encounter a single smile or a single act of kindness and seeing that kind of kindness spread on my birthday of all days would really bring my heart joy because this world can be a lonely place, can't it? Everybody's busy. Everybody's on the move. Everybody's off doing the next thing or so it seems and it can be especially difficult to feel like we belong or that there are even people that care. Stats seem to show this. In 2021, Harvard reported these findings that 36%, this is a national survey of American adults, 36% of the respondents reported feeling serious loneliness. Of that, that included 61% of young adults ages 18 through 25. And then 51% of mothers with young kids. 43% of young adults, moving on. 
I'll tell you what it says next at. Uh, 43% of young adults reported increases in loneliness since the outbreak of the pandemic. And about half of those who were lonely reported that in the last few weeks, hardly anyone had come up to them and even said that they genuinely cared for them. Or here's another one. The CDC said that 63% of young adults, 63% of ages 18 through 25, are suffering significant symptoms of anxiety and depression. What I'm saying is loneliness is an epidemic. Loneliness is an epidemic, and it's not just stats on a screen, is it? It's real life for so many people, perhaps even so many of us here this morning, and it's only going to get worse. And yet, what I want us to see today is there is an answer. There is an answer to all of the loneliness, to all of the heartache, to all of the need, and it's what the Bible calls hospitality. Hospitality. Now, typically when I hear this word hospitality, maybe you're like me, but we're quick to think of someone who's really good at having friends over. Or perhaps someone who enjoys things like decorating the house seasonally, like I think like a Joanna Gaines, right? Pumpkin and gourds in the fall, tinsel and holly around Christmas time, just magazine-worthy spreads. And while that can be part of it, the Bible gives us a fuller, more robust description that hospitality is good done to those outside of our typical circle of friends. Hospitality is opening our lives to those who believe differently than we do. I'll say that again, again if you're writing down notes. Hospitality is good done to those outside of our normal circle of friends. It is opening our lives to those who believe differently than we do. And I want to give us two quick passages that make this point. One from the Old Testament and another from the New, starting with Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, verse 33 and 34 says, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born, meaning from your own country. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I remember visiting my grandparents in the Middle East one year, and I was blown away by how often company would just show up unannounced. It was annoying. But it is a way of life over there. It's embedded in the culture, and this cultural value goes back a long, long way. The people of Israel, they they were strategically, take a look at this map, they were strategically plotted in the middle of a number of trade routes. So from the east, from the north, from the south, everybody had to pass through Israel, meaning Israel found themselves often having people over. But God ties this to something specific, doesn't he? He's like, you remember what it was like being a stranger in the land of Egypt? But you were mistreated then. Don't do the same. Instead, be a people who welcome others, 
even and especially those who are outside your typical group of friends who believe differently than you. In the New Testament, Hebrews 13 makes the same point. Verse 1, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now that angel thing is pretty cool. Because what that's saying is apparently some people and maybe even some of us have unintentionally invited angels into our homes without realizing it. I don't even know what to tell you about that except that that's cool that such a thing can happen. But let's not miss the actual point of the verse because we get so caught up in the angel stuff. Look at verse 2 once more. It says, do not forget to show hospitality to whom? Strangers. Meaning, to people you do not know. One author, Rosaria Butterfield, describes hospitality this way. That those who live out hospitality see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as the family of God. They recoil at reducing a person to a category or a label. They see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. Then she goes on to say, they see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. The gospel comes with a house key. You want to know how seriously God takes hospitality? 1 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 3, while listing out the character qualifications necessary for someone who desires to be a pastor, the Apostle Paul writes this, that they ought to be self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, and there's more. The list goes on, but do you see it? Right before requiring that pastors are able to teach well, he includes hospitality on the list. 83% of American Christians today choose a church based on whether or not the preaching is any good. God says, if you don't open up your home and your life to strangers, don't bother being a pastor. Just why do you think the scriptures are so serious about this? It's because God has been so hospitable to us. Despite our ongoing rebellion against him, God continually demonstrates his love toward us again and again and again and again. Most clearly as Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, it's God who invited us in. It's God who came to rescue us. It is God who opened the door. We didn't rush toward him. He relentlessly pursued us. 
See, while you and I pitted ourselves against God, in that moment he said, I love you. I am opening myself to you. And with arms open, wide, ready to embrace us, we crucified him to a tree. The dying thief next to Jesus said, remember me. And what's his response? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. He welcomed him in. And to the accusers, Jesus didn't go, fine, but you're on your own. No, even to those who nailed him there, who scourged him on the back, who mocked him to his face, he prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see what he's doing? He's keeping the lines of communication open for any who would eventually come to take God up on the offer. And then after Jesus died and rose again, his first words to those who were once closest to him, his disciples who betrayed him and deserted him in his greatest hour of need were not words of, I'm going to get you back, but words of peace. This is the hospitality of God. He has done everything in his power to ensure that the doors are always wide open. Do you know him? Have you taken him up on this offer? See, this is why hospitality is so important, because it is the very heart of who our God is. And so then, as followers of this radically hospitable God, doesn't it make sense that we would be known for the same heart too. So let's get practical. How do we actually show and grow in hospitality, even to and especially to strangers? How do we grow? How do we show hospitality to strangers? Well, the first is this. Greet. Greet and repeat. Learn to say hello to everyone. That means when you're walking down the aisle in the grocery store and you're next to someone else who's fretting over which bag of underfilled but overpriced chips to get. <laughs> say me too. Hi. And then take it a step further. If you're feeling gutsy, take it a step further. Don't just say hi, but then introduce yourself. Extend your hand to shake theirs. Uh, and when you do, look them in the eye. Introduce yourself by name. And when they say their name, repeat it back to them. Hey, James. James, good to meet you. Catherine, pleasure to see you here. Those Doritos, man. <laughs> and pro tip. Before the day is out, pray for them by name. It's a lot harder to forget a name when you make it a practice to pray by name. See, we often teach this stuff to missions teams as they go overseas to other countries to tell about Jesus. But we need to be reminded of these very practical things too, don't we? Because there is something to the power of a smile and just a wave or even a word spoken in a language that someone else will understand that really goes a long way in building a connection. 
Several years ago, there was a coffee shop in Virginia that tried something very ingenious. They had a sandwich board outside of their shop, and it had three phrases on it. And, and the first phrase went like this. If you walked in and you said small coffee, they charge you five bucks, which is a lot of money for a small coffee. Now, Starbucks, you pay about that, don't you? But small coffee, five bucks. The second line said, if you said small coffee, please, they would knock it down to $3. And the third phrase said, if you walk in and you say, hello, I'd like a small coffee, please. Buck 75. And I'm sitting here thinking, how many pretty pleases with sugars on top to get a freebie? You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's a great concept because we're always in such a hurry, aren't we? Moving from thing to thing to the next thing. Ever stop to say hi to the person who you're ordering from? Or to the cashier ringing you up if they haven't totally automated those by now? They're not robots. They're human beings, aren't they? Made in the image and likeness of God, which means they deserve our time. See, we live in such a connected and yet disconnected world. And social media is evidence of it. 2,000 followers and friends, and we're still starving for deep, meaningful relationships. I believe God has a purpose for each and every seemingly insignificant encounter that we may have with anyone. It all has value. And the people God has placed you around deserve dignity and decency, which is why we don't stop at greeting, right? We start there, we greet, but then we move on. We learn to be. Be, meaning be with people. Whenever you're somewhere, be there. Engage in conversation, right? Learn to ask open-ended questions and watch for doors as they open. Questions like, what do you do for a living? Or how did you guys meet? Or one of my favorites, what are you currently working toward? Or what are your dreams for the future? Now, sure, no one wants to have a list of questions just rattled off at them rapid fire. Uh, believe me, I've learned this the hard way, and some of you in this room have warned me to this, that sometimes my questions are not welcome, and, and I appreciate that. Thank you. But I will say this. It can be helpful to have a handful of these types of questions in your back pocket that you can pull out from time to time to be able to deepen the relationship quickly. Because, again, we live in such a know everyone, but know no one kind of a world. And I'm telling you, people are hungry to be known. So hungry for conversation that goes deeper than just how the chiefs are going to do tonight. Though it's okay that we care about that too. Speaking of hunger, here's a third point. Eat. Eat. Meals become priority for us. The Bible speaks repeatedly about the holiness of eating together. Just good food, good conversation with those that we know and we love and we trust. God calls that holy. But remember, God also says that hospitality is showing good to those outside your normal group of friends. So yes, have the kinds of meals where you're around a table with people that you know and you love, with family and friends. We need those times, but we also need to make it a point to welcome people 
who don't believe what we believe, who don't know the God that we know. And as we choose to greet and be, a vital next step then is to invite them over to eat. But just a word, and I hate that I have to say this, but it's so important that we need to remember. These people that we invite into our lives cannot become projects to us. They're not projects. They're human beings. And two quick quotes that brilliantly summarize this. To love is not a means to an end. Love is the end. Love is not a means of going somewhere else. Love itself is its own justification. Love is not a tactic. Love is the goal. After all, Jesus said, love your neighbor, right? That means, next quote, we don't love people in order to share our faith with them. Hear that again. We don't love people in order to share our faith with them. No, however, we share ourselves and our faith in order to love them. We share ourselves and our faith because that is love. The Apostle Paul gives a great example of this in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. As a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you, check this, not only the gospel of God, but also our very selves. See, God has placed you right where you are. Right when you are, just as you are to be near others, that you would in turn invite them into your life, right? To greet, to be with them, to eat with them and serve them and walk alongside them in this broken world. And as we do, right, as we love, may we show Jesus through our actions and our words. One more thing to add here, finally, see, see. Greet, be, eat, and see. Meaning, pay attention to those who are being left out. Pay attention to who is by themselves. Because it seems in every work environment and every classroom and every neighborhood and even every church, there are people who find themselves on the outside isolated. They don't seem to have very many close friends and few people seem to know them very well. And if you're choosing to see, if you're paying attention, if you ask God to give you eyes to see the hurting and the lonely, he will show you because he cares for the hurting and the lonely. See, after all, this is how he came for us, isn't it? That it's because he took time to greet us and to be with us and to eat with us and see us. And now he sends us to do the very same. And so here is a freebie for all of us coming up. I imagine almost everyone here listening to my voice is going to know what I'm talking about. In two weeks, a national holiday is taking place. Super Bowl Sunday. This is a freebie. What I mean is February 12th, two weeks from now, nearly everyone in the country and their mom is going to be looking 
for a way to see who the chiefs are going to be in the Super Bowl. Oh, all right, I'm getting ahead of myself. But seriously, Super Bowl Sunday is the perfect opportunity to host an event and invite people who look and think and believe and even cheer for teams differently than you. Now, yes, invite your friends, right? Do this as a family. Do this with a life team. Those are good. Or a mission site. These are good things to do. But also make it a priority to invite someone that you're still getting to know. Because imagine this with me. What if, as Heart of Life Church, we had 15 watch parties going on around the city? What if we upped that to 50? What if we had 75 or even 100 homes opening up to watch the Super Bowl together? If you just had 10 people in each of those homes, there would be more than 1,000 people represented on a single day. That's more than we'd ever be able to fit in here and all of our campuses on a Sunday combined. What I'm saying is the gospel comes with a house key. It's always been God's strategy. Sunday morning worship is good and vital, yes. But you want to see God change the world? It starts when we join God in the work that he's been up to for a long time. One of my favorite things growing up was what was called bring your kids to work day. So many of my favorite memories from childhood are from that time. See, my dad was a handbag designer and engineer. And he used to, 12, for 12 years, he worked at Coach in New York City. And I loved getting to see what my dad did and join him in the day, whether it was uh, getting a sneak peek at some of the new upcoming fashion line or getting to be part of the conferences and discussions for the day, even designing some of my own handbags. That last part was maybe a lie, maybe made up. But to this day, I will argue, some of you have been commenting on my tie. This tie, I think, was my design, okay? The scribble C, the signature C look, but that's a whole other story for another day. But still... It gets me thinking. Every day that we have on this planet, with every ounce of blood that courses through our veins and every breath that we take, we hear our heavenly father saying, hey, kiddo, I am off to change the world today. You want in? You want to come to work with me today? See, when we show hospitality, we join our heavenly father in the work he's been doing, that others might come to find and seek him too. See, God is right there with us and he is working through us. And when you join God in his work, you will find yourself filled with such a joy that is merely a reflection of the party that's going on in heaven right now. What greater news is there than to say that the God of the universe knows you and loves you completely? What greater news in the world is there? That cannot stay in the four walls of this church. It has to go out. 
Who in your life needs to hear that truth this week? Greet. Be. Eat. See. So, who's ready to join God at work? I believe it starts by remembering the work that he began in us. Before we can extend hospitality to others, we have to embrace and be reminded of the hospitality he first extended to us. See, God opened himself to you that you would know the joy of being fully known and fully loved so that from this place, you could then be able to freely share that joy with others. When you walked in this morning, you may have noticed some baskets with communion cups in them. That's because hopefully you picked one up on the way in, but if you didn't, just raise your hand right now. It's okay. And then we'll have some ushers who will bring the basket your way so you don't have to get up. But if you, if you need a communion cup, just go ahead and raise your hand and we'll make sure that we get it your way. See, communion, the Lord's Supper, reminds us. It draws our hearts back 2,000 years to the cross of Jesus. The bread depicts for us his body that was freely given for us. And the cup represents the blood that he shed that we might find our life in him. And as we partake of the bread and the cup in this way, our attention is drawn forward as well. Not just back, but forward to a future day. To a wedding feast. To the marriage supper of the Lamb. To a table much larger than any of these tables. A table where all are welcomed. But until that day, we celebrate communion now as a declaration, both of the cross and of a foretaste of heaven. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to remember the Lord together as a family around the table, that we would leave this place ready to invite others to be part of the family too. Lord Jesus, You stretched out your arms of love upon the hardwood of the cross that all might come to know your saving embrace. And I pray now that you would so clothe us as your church in your spirit that we too would reach out our hands in love and that you would work through us to bring others near to you who do not yet know you because you are not far from any one of us. So as we share in the bread and the cup now, Lord, these symbols of your body and blood, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would lay on each of our hearts the name and the face of someone in our lives who has yet to know you. Someone that you desire for us to greet and be with and eat with and see. So Lord, open our eyes to see. Open our hearts to embrace Open our hands to give our all for you that others may come to know you and love you as we have. To the glory of your name we pray. Amen. So at this time, I'm going to invite you at your tables just to circle up. And if there's only a couple of you at a table, you're welcome to join another table. 
I think this is a perfect opportunity for us around a table to share this meal. I'll give you a heads up. The little cups can be a little tricky. There is a plastic film on top and then a larger film underneath. Just try to separate that to get the bread out first. Just fair warning. But maybe someone at your table can play the host, as it were, and facilitate this time. Can lead us through thanking God for the bread and for his body that was given for us. Can thank Jesus for the blood that was shed. And we can take that together as a table. And maybe even use this time to personally confess our sins to God. Maybe, who knows what this last week has been? Who knows what this morning has been? This is a time to say, Lord, I don't need that to be what I leave here with. I want to leave that with you. And I want to leave this place knowing that I'm joining you where you are. So confess those things to him. You can do that at your table. You could do that personally. You can even do that aloud. We're allowed as a family to share those things with each other. And we can pray for one another. And then take time together to consider all the things that Jesus has done for us, how he has made us right with him, how he is with us, and how he will never forsake us. Do that now. And before the day's out, let's start planning those Super Bowl parties because the gospel comes with a house key. God bless.